Hello and welcome to JHE Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain at JHE Ministries, and I'm glad you joined us today. Last time we finished chapter 17 with Jesus teaching about his second coming. Today we begin a new chapter. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to chapter 18, verse 1 of the book of Luke. And let's get into it. Now with chapter 1, or with chapter 18, verse 1, we're going to begin the parable of the persistent widow. So let's take a look at our scriptures here and read the first eight verses. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me, for my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. Lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? <clears throat> now, begin with verse 1. This parable must be interpreted with reference to the theme of the return of our Lord that we had in chapter 17, as verse 8b will make clear. The story is not intended to apply to prayer in general, as though one needed to pester God for every need until God reluctantly responds. The theme is that of the vindication of God's misunderstood and suffering people. God's people in Old Testament days need to wait on God as he worked out justice with apparent slowness. We can refer to Psalm chapter 25, verses 2 and 3. In the final days, the martyrs wait for vindication. We read that in Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Meanwhile, we wrestle with the problem of evil and with issues of theosity. Under these circumstances, we should always pray and not give up. The parable of the praying widow teaches that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. This is true in a general sense of all men and of all kinds of prayer. But the special sense in which it is used here is prayer for God's deliverance in times of testing. It is praying without losing heart during the long, weary interval between Christ's first and second comings. The parable pictures an unrighteous judge, here in verses 2 and 3, who was ordinarily quite unmoved by fear of God or regard for his fellow man. There was also a widow who was being oppressed by some unnamed adversary. Now this widow came to the judge persistently, asking him for justice so that she might be delivered from this inhumane 
treatment. The designation unjust judge is similar to the idiom in chapter 16, verse 8 of the dishonest manager. Therefore, we should probably understand the judge to be a man of the world who, though crooked, prided himself on shrewd judicial decisions. The judge is typical of a local Gentile judge known throughout the Hellenistic world, being easily accessible and having the authority to make quick decisions, he would naturally be besieged by people such as this widow that we have in this story. Verses 4 and 5, we see that the judge was unmoved by the validity of her case. The fact that she was being treated unjustly did not move him to action on her behalf. However, the regularity with which she came before him prompted him to act. Her persistence brought a decision in her favor. The words, wear me out, or to give a black eye to probably relate to the common idiom in Eastern countries, where to have one's face blackened means to suffer shame. In this parable, the reputation of the one being petitioned is at stake. And God is not compared to a crooked judge. In verses 6 and 7, there is a partial basis of comparison in that God will also guard his reputation and vindicate himself. The Lord explained to the disciples that if an unjust judge would act in behalf of a poor widow because of her importunity, how much more will the just God intervene on behalf of his own elect? The elect here might refer in a special sense to the Jewish remnant during the tribulation period, but is also true of all oppressed believers in every age. The reason God has not intervened long ago is because he is long-suffering with men, not willing that any should perish. And we have the term chosen ones, and it's a term that's used throughout Scripture to describe those who, at the end of history, are marked out as on the victorious side. The point of the verse is that God patiently listens to his chosen ones as they pray in their continuing distress, waiting for the proper time to act on their behalf. <clears throat> now, finally here in verse 8, but the day is coming when his spirit will no longer strive with men, and then he will punish those who persecute his followers. The Lord Jesus closed the parable with the question, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Now, this probably means the kind of faith that the poor widow had. But it may also indicate that when the Lord returns, there will only be a remnant who are true to him. In the meantime, each of us should be stimulated to the kind of faith that cries to God night and day. Help is on the way, and the delay will prove shorter than it seems from our perspective. 
True believers who persistently wait with patient trust will seem few when the Son of Man comes. So this story, like the story of the friend at midnight that we saw in chapter 11 of Luke, verses 5 to 13, was told for the one specific purpose of teaching that God will honor patient, persistent, persevering prayer. The widow in this parable repeatedly goes to an unjust judge with her petition, and she eventually wears him down so that he grants her request. Now, Jesus contrasts this with what we can expect when we make our request to God. He says that God will that we get justice and get it quickly. To learn how to pray successfully is a matter of lifetime study and self-discipline. For one thing, we must learn how to forgive. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, prayer is directly connected with the practice of the golden rule. The single most important requirement, however, is faith. God's promises for those who have faith are simply amazing. Now let's move on with the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now in this parable, we will see the characteristic of recipients and rejectors of the kingdom most sharply defined. The Pharisee shows an attitude of pride and self-vindication. And we can refer to Matthew chapter 23, verses 5 to 7. We can refer to Mark chapter 7, verse 6, and also Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 to 6, for further information on this. His words imply a contractual relationship with God, whereby he would accept the Pharisee's merit in exchange for justification. Actually, not only this parable, but the two following stories deal with conditions for entering the kingdom, and each stresses human inability. So let's take a look at our scriptures here with verse 9. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's take a look at verses 9 through 12. This next parable is addressed to the people who pride themselves on being righteous and who despise all others as inferior. And by labeling the first man as a Pharisee, the Savior did not leave any doubt whatsoever as to the particular class of people that Jesus was addressing. And although the Pharisee went through the motions of prayer, he was not really speaking to God. He was rather boasting of his own moral and religious attainments. 
Instead of comparing himself with God's perfect standard and seeing how sinful he really was, he compared himself with others in the community and prided himself on being better. His frequent repetition of the personal pronoun I reveals the true state of his heart as conceited and self-sufficient. Now, elements of this parable need little interpretation, but only careful observation. The characters in this story represent extremes, but the sketches are true to life. The Pharisee follows custom in praying in the temple and standing while in prayer. His prayer expresses the essence of fairyism, which is the separation from others, thus in itself was not reprehensible. Because at the inception of Phariseeism, there was a need for a distinctive group who would maintain a piety that stood in contrast to the encroaching pagan Hellenism. Now, this initial good hardened into obnoxious self-righteousness on the part of many, not all, Pharisees. Pharisees did tithe and fast, though fasting twice in the week was more than necessary and was only practiced for the most pious of the Pharisees. The problem was that this Pharisee's prayer was a farce, created only in himself, and he mentioned God only in the beginning of his prayer. Now, the description speaks for itself as we take a look at verse 13. The tax collector was a striking contrast. The tax collector was one of the social outcast that's so prominent in Luke as recipients of God's grace. Standing before God, he sensed his own utter unworthiness. He was humbled to the dust. He would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat, it, but beat his chest and cried to God for mercy. God be merciful to me, a sinner. He did not think of himself as one sinner among many, but as the sinner who was unworthy of anything from God. And here, lastly, in verse 14, the Lord Jesus reminded his hearers that this is the spirit of self-humiliation and repentance that is acceptable to God. Contrary to what human appearances might indicate, it was the tax collector who went down to his house justified. God exalts the humble, but he humbles those who exalt themselves. And contrary to what people in Jesus' day would expect, he received immediate justification, granted by God in contrast to the self-justification that the Pharisee was futilely caught up in. And verses 14b states the principle that is further illustrated when we get to verses 15 through 17. Finally, before we end, Pharisees were generally so self-righteous and hypocritical in their haughty attitude toward others that the word Pharisee has almost become a synonym for sham. They had that same self-satisfied attitude towards God as if they thought God would feel honored to have them pray to him. Jesus detested religious pretense from the depth of his soul. 
the bitterest words he ever uttered were against the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. We see that in Matthew chapter 23. He did not condone the sins of tax collectors and prostitutes. He came to save them, but they knew they were sinners, and therefore it was easier for them to take the first step and to confess it. This parable is aimed at showing that the only basis for approaching God is a realization of our sinfulness and the need of his mercy. Food for thought for the day. And with that, we must stop for the day. We are out of time. Next time, we'll pick it up right here with verse 15. So until next time, God bless you and keep living Christian strong.